You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome to the August 13th edition of America's Voice for Energy. On August 3rd, President Obama announced the final rule on the Clean Power Plan. Now, if you're a regular listener to America's Voice for Energy, you know I've talked about the Clean Power Plan many times over the past year. And I've come to count on Terry Jarrett as my expert regarding the Clean Power Plan, and I'm delighted that he was willing to join us today. But a little introduction first. My column this week is entitled, Obama's Clean Power Plan, Solar Industry Wins, Taxpayers Lose. And one of the things I want to kind of give you a heads up on that we're going to do in this show is talk to some people, two former employees from one of those solar companies that has previously benefited from government funding, which of course means taxpayer dollars. In our, that'll be in our second and our third segment. And these guests of mine have to remain nameless, and I had to go out and purchase and learn uh, software that would distort their voices in order that they were comfortable being on the show because they've uh, received pushback from Abengoa because they were vocal. Now, the Clean Power Plan is going to require a big increase in solar. And so that's kind of the interesting connection because on the same day that President Obama announced the Clean Power Plan, Abengoa's stock tanked. It totally tanked and is now uh, looking like it could be facing bankruptcy. And this is, I, I point this out, I connect these dots to say this is the kind of investment that these government regulations uh, bring about. They, they force something that is not natural to the market. So, Terry, thanks for joining us once again to talk about the Clean Power Plan. And give, I hope you can give our listeners, you know, you and I talked recently about what what uh, the, the Supreme Court decision meant, and uh, if I recall correctly, you, you thought that this was going to delay the Clean Power Plan, which I did too, and, but that didn't happen. They, they, they've gone full force even harder uh, than, than the, the draft pr- proposed. So I hope you can give us kind of an introduction of where we stand today. Right. Well, first of all, uh, it's good to talk with you again, Rita, about the Clean Power Plan. Uh, yeah, the, uh, the Obama administration on August 3rd announced the final rule, uh, which, uh, you know, we had been talking about the proposed rule for about a year, but now we have the final rule. And it is even more onerous uh, than the proposed rule. Uh, mm-hmm. Obama has basically doubled down on, on his push for more renewables. He increased the uh, the carbon emissions goal from 30 to 32 percent, which doesn't seem like a lot, only two percent, but that is a lot when you're talking about a national a national goal. Uh, and and yeah, and what carbon. I understand, what I've heard some people say there is that these last few percentage points are going to be like the hardest and the most expensive because all the easy stuff, all the low-hanging fruit, uh, uh, all the low-cost ways of reducing emissions are already implemented. 
That's exactly right. What this is basically going to do is it's going to shut down uh, more coal plants, uh, period. And Obama's... Uh, uh, you know, Terry, I, I quoted in, um, in my column, Solar Industry Magazine. I read their article about the clean power plan. The title of it is, The EPA's clean power plan increases importance of wind and solar in achieving carbon emissions reduction targets. And in this article they say, and I frankly have not heard anyone be quite so blunt about it, and that's why I'm kind of chiming in with it here. It says in this article, the fundamental objective is of the clean power plan is the phasing out of coal-fired power plants in favor of lower zero emission sources such as natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind. Yes. That is exactly right, and and the main focus is on renewables because in this final rule, uh, the uh, the percentage of renewables is being increased. Yeah, and uh, natural gas kind of got left out in in the final. It was in the draft. Is that correct? That is exactly right. You know, uh, currently uh, nationwide, renewables account for about 5% of uh, our electricity generation, generating sources. Uh, under the Clean Power Plan, uh, it will go up to 28% by 2030. So you can see that this is a vast uh, increase in the use of renewables over the next 15 years, and that's of wind and, wind and solar. Yeah, it definitely is. And, and, and wind and solar, you know, are, are, as I talked about, are going to have to be subsidized to have that kind of dramatic increase. I mean, we've been working on this. We've been funding wind and solar uh, you know, severe, extensively, I guess, since the Clean Power Plan, but you probably would know, have we been um, – Funding, we taxpayers, have we been funding wind and solar before the clean power plan as well? Oh, absolutely. Uh, the wind and solar industries uh, have been given all kinds of... Oh, yeah, it's silly. I, I realize, I know that they've been doing it for like 20 years now I think about it. Sorry about that. Yeah, yeah, it, it's, it's, uh, it's an industry into it, unto itself, the, uh, the subsidy industry for these, for these renewables. And, of course... Uh, because of the cost, the high cost of of developing these renewables uh, to continue and to, and to increase that fast, it's going to require a lot of taxpayer money to subsidize them. I know, and that's that's kind of where I was going when I got distracted on how long we've been we've been funding them. But so we've been we've been funding this industry, propping them up as this infant industry for twenty years, and we've reached approximately five percent. And now That's suddenly right. we're going to have this from 5% to, what did you say, 28% in how many years? 28% in 15 years by 2030. Wow. I mean, I guess the technology has improved. Do you think that's even possible? I don't believe it's possible. The, the amount of, uh, of space it would take, uh, you know, to put up these, these solar wind farms take, or solar uh, farms, take uh, a vast amount of land, uh, and so when you're talking about that much increase, uh, the cost to build those things and the cost to buy the land and, and the cost to build 
uh, high voltage transmission lines to, to move the power from those solar farms to where it's needed, you're talking uh -huh. billions and billions of dollars. I mean, it is just staggering uh, the the amount of uh, increase in electricity bills that this thing is going to cause. Yeah, I wrote last week my column was on Hillary's uh, energy plan because I think to, to keep from having her thunder stolen by Obama, she released her plan a week before, and her plan calls for, uh, you know, she's, she, I, I wrote that her plan is like Obama's plan on steroids, and her plan calls for half a million solar panels, um, you know, and, and one of the things she says in there is that, uh, spending for grid upgrades is a priority of hers. And uh, because the grid can't, you know, I, I chimed in on that because you brought up the grid, but the grid can't handle uh, the high percentage of variable electricity that this will put into the system. Oh, that's exactly right. This is a nightmare for grid operators to try to keep the grid uh, reliable. Uh, you just can't add that much uh, intermittency into into the grid without it causing uh, all kinds of problems. And of course, when uh, when Mrs. Clinton talks about uh, spending on the grid as a priority, of course she means taxpayer money. Of that course, yes. Uh, which is which is again another problem with this with this plan. It's just. Uh, it's just more uh, spending ultimately, again, that's going to be borne by the taxpayers and the consumers of electricity. You know, and Terry, I did a poor job introducing you. I'm so sorry because you've been with us several times. Would you just give our listeners a quick, why do you know this much about the Clean Power Plan? What's your background? Sure, glad to. I'm a former commissioner of the Missouri Public Service Commission uh, where I was a state utilities regulator. Uh, currently, I am an attorney and, and consultant in private practice uh, where I uh, advise and uh, work with clients on energy uh, issues like this. So with that background, thanks, I appreciate that, what do you think is going to happen with the Clean Power Plan? Well, uh, you know, of course, the first round uh, will be litigation. Uh, we've already had 16 attorneys general across, uh, state attorneys general across the country have uh, banded together uh, and are filing a lawsuit. Other interested parties uh, that are against this are also filing lawsuits. So we're, we're in for, uh, uh, for years of litigation over this rule. Uh, one of the big issues up front will be, will the court issue a state order uh, allowing utilities and states to not have to start implementing this before the legal uh, sort of the legal process plays out. So that will sort of be the first hurdle that will. Do you do you do you have any gut on how that will go? Well, certainly uh, the e the uh, Supreme Court's decision on EPA's uh, the MATS ruling, where they ruled that the EPA exceeded their authority, I think gives uh, those parties a better chance of gaining the stay. Yeah. Because they're making much the same arguments uh, that, that they made in the Matt's case, that the EPA has exceeded their authority in this matter. So I think they might find a more sympathetic ear with the courts now than they would have prior to that Matt's ruling. Well, 
Well, to me, this coming out with this is like thumbing its nose. The, the Obama administration is thumbing their nose at the Supreme Court saying, you know, we don't care what you said. We're, we're doing what we want anyway. And I would hope that that would make some judges kind of blanch and go, whoa, 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 this is not how it works. And even those that may ideologically side with the administration may feel like you can't just ignore what the Supreme Court says. Well, that's exactly right. And, 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 and really the Obama administration thumbed their nose that at all of the electricity experts and the grid operators who, who made comments about the problems with this plan, uh, the reliability and the affordability issues. And the EPA, uh, Gina McCarthy, the administrator, kept saying, oh, we're listening to the experts. We're, right. We're going to respond. We're going to be flexible. We hear you, and and we're gonna we're gonna make this rule better. This rule isn't better; it's worse. Yeah. Shocking, and, Terry. I appreciate your time today to talk. Give us kind of an overview of that final release of the Clean Power Plan. And for our listeners, remember when we come back after the break, you're going to hear my voice sounding really funny. Don't tweak your dials. It's the um, voice distortion software so that we can hear from our insiders, tell us the real story of what's happened with our taxpayer dollars uh, from the stimulus bill that was done to prop up, promote solar, and what sometimes happens with those. Terry, thanks for joining us today on America's Voice for Energy, and we'll be right back. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare. But for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Voice for Energy. This week we've got a really interesting show specifically because it revolves around uh, solar subsidies and specifically a company by the name of 
Avangoa. I've written on Avangoa frequently over the last few years, followed them as part of my Obama's Green Energy Crony Corruption Scandal series. And interestingly, on the very day that President Obama introduced the Clean Power Plan, which would promote a lot more solar energy, the single largest recipient of funds from the 2000 package, Avangoa, had a huge drop in stock prices. And we're going to talk more specifically about that in our last segment today. But now I'm pleased to have with me someone who worked at Avangoa, who was in a position to have access to a lot of information. And because of the the trouble in the company, we're not going to use her name. We'll just call her ma'am. And in our next segment, we're going to talk with Sir, and as you'll notice, we're disguising the voice a bit to protect her because that's the kind of situation we're dealing with today. So, ma'am, I'm glad to have you with us. Thanks for being willing to share some of the insights that you feel comfortable sharing about what what happened uh, at Avangoa. Well, thank you. So, you know, from your perspective, I, I, and I know we're not going to talk about which of the subsidiaries you were with or what department or anything like that, what was the corporate culture like there at Avangoa? It's a very difficult to work in and a very difficult culture to understand. The, the best word that I can think of to describe it is it was a culture of arrogance um, from the leadership in Spain and the leadership in the United States. Um, the leadership felt that they were above um, all U.S. law and regulation, from the EPA to OSHA to generally accepted accounting practices to employment law, uh, across the board, there was no need to comply with any of U.S. laws. The only thing that they wanted was U.S. taxpayer dollars. So that, that was the, the culture. So why do you think they had this uh, after paying attention to our laws? Well, um, Amagoa, as, as you're aware, Marita, is incredibly politically connected. They're connected to Al Gore. He's visited their headquarters in Seville, Spain, on more than one occasion. They're connected to Bill Richardson. And so I think that they believe that those connections allow them to do whatever they want to do. And, and certainly that's proved true to date. Absolutely it has. And, and it's interesting to note that even after it was widely reported that Amigo was under investigation by more than one federal agency, the Department of Labor, um, the IRS, uh, the federal government still continued to give them hundreds of millions of dollars in federal grants. Well, that's real. I think that'll be really shocking for people to understand that they were they were under investigation for a variety of issues, uh, immigration issues, uh, late Department of Labor issues, mm -hmm. and you mentioned the IRS as well. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, I I guess the theory was well, nothing's been proven yet. My understanding from some of the um, individuals that are working together, um, there's, a, there's a task force, a cross-functional task force with these federal agencies, is that Amigo is fighting tooth and nail, um, spending, I'm sure, hundreds of thousands of dollars on attorney fees to, to not hand over documents and to not cooperate with the investigation. So the investigations, can you give us any insight as to what they are regarding? 
my understanding is that the investigation is regarding um, Department of Labor practices, how employees are classified, are they, are they classified as hourly or salaried. Um, they're also looking at the um, Immigration Customs Enforcement is also looking into um, the number of expats that were brought into the United States to work and if they were on the proper visas or not on the proper visas. And it's, it's important to remember that um, Avangor got billions and billions and billions of dollars to build um, two huge solar power plants and a bioethanol plant. And um, that was a federal loan guarantee. And under that federal loan guarantee, one of the things um, that Avangor agreed to do was to hire local to global. Because, Marita, as you're aware, this was under the ARA. And um, it was to create U.S. jobs. That was what President Obama touted, is that all of these projects um, needed to be shovel-ready and to immediately create jobs and stimulate the economy. And instead of that happening, um, what happened is, at the same time, Spain's economy was tanking, and so Amagoa started sending over to the U.S. all of their employees in Spain, Uruguay, Chile, Argentina, to the United States to take these high-paying engineering jobs. And then it went to the part, to the fact that they started sending over clerical aspects to do clerical work. So um, you would walk into the different projects across the country, and people weren't speaking English. <laughs> they were all from outside the United States, uh, yeah, and very I, few and Americans. I've talked to a lot of Avangoa uh, employees, current and past employees, or at least they were current at the time I talked to them, uh, in some of my previous reporting, and that issue of um, the bringing in the expats uh, and and really booting Americans out of positions is something I heard that maybe they hired Americans originally and then replace them with expats. That's something I heard over and over. Oh, it's, it's, it's true, and they're paying the expats literally, in many cases, twice as much as they were paying um, the U.S. employees, and, and it's true that they did, um, they did um, terminate the employment of U.S. Um, people and, and bring over expats to fill the positions. Wow, it's, it's amazing what, what, uh, what they've done, and, and I understand them, that there were a lot of... Um, uh, safety violations uh, as well. Yes, I, I, um, I know that um, there's a, a lot of concerns about the Mojave Project and the safety um, codes up there. Um, I read that... And that's in California. In California, um, mm -hmm. that there's been the thermal fluid um, spills in California and in the Arizona Project as well, which is bad for the environment. So it's, it, that's what I mean across the board is just that arrogance of not having to um, follow U.S. laws. And, I mean, didn't they have inspections and things on these projects? To my knowledge, they did, um, and I know that some of it's been reported. Um, one of the things that, that you have to remember is that there's expats that are um, on these sites, and they're not... Um, forthright with um, the agencies doing the inspections. The same is with the, um, with the local to global, with the Department of Energy and the Federal Loan Guarantee, is that um, Amigo would spin things. So, for example, it's a huge construction project, and they, um, 
one of their subsidiaries is the prime contractor, and then they subcontract all this out. So they force their subcontractors to um, follow the local to global, um, but they didn't follow it themselves. And so when they present the information to the Department of Energy, there's this big spin, oh, look at this local to global. But it, it's not accurate. And, and so it, they're good at that. They're, they're just very good at um, presenting um, information one way. I know that even in the finance department, for example, when the um, external auditors would come in, they would um, literally have one set of books for the auditors and then have another set of books for, <laughs> that they kept internally for themselves. I heard that over and over again from um, folks in the accounting department. To the, and it got to the point wow. where there were no U.S. employees in the accounting department. Because they would challenge the way that things were being done, the U.S. employees would... They would, they would say, wait, you can't do this? You can't get away with this? Yeah, this is not generally accepted accounting practices. And then they'd be bullied basically out of the organization. You know, and I understand that they had another policy where they would get U.S. vendors to do the work and then refuse to pay them. It, it, it actually, um, it, it's actually sad is that, yes, they would hire these vendors, they would have contracts with them um, to provide material. And we're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars or more, is that correct? Millions. We're talking about millions. Millions, okay. Yeah, we're and definitely talking about. We're talking about millions. And so Abengoa actually has what they call Abengoa University, and one of the classes that they send their managers to is a class that teaches you how to nitpick an invoice apart so that it doesn't meet the, the requirements and delay paying it. And and you're rewarded for nitpicking the invoices. Um, it's, it's, it's almost like you're never you're not allowed to approve an invoice the first time it comes in. So even though you've got terms. You've got to find something wrong with it. Exactly, so that you can reject it. And then in the paperwork, they can't submit it again for another 30 days. So the, the way they draw up their contract. So, for example, if I, made a, if I was a vendor and I made a small mistake and my invoice was rejected, it's not like I could just correct it and send it right back the same day. I had to wait 30 days to resubmit the invoice. And so what was this doing, giving them more cash flow? It was. It was, it was, it, it was um, helping their cash flow. And um, at a time where you have to remember the economy was very bad, Spain's economy was tanking. And then what it would force um, some of the smaller um, vendors to do is to um, file liens. And then um, Avangoa, which is this huge monstrous company, would force these um, vendors into arbitration. And then on many occasions, these vendors would settle for pennies on the dollar. Um, and, and there was a great article by Ryan Randazzo that was in the Arizona Republic a couple of years ago where he discussed this. And um, one of the companies that they tried to bully and push around was Kitchell Construction, but Kitchell's very well known, and Kitchell was able to stand up to them. And um, there's a great but from, quote From my research, oh, go ahead with your quote. I'm sorry, no, go I ahead. Say that there's a great quote by um, one of the representatives of Kitchell in there that basically calls Avangoa a bully and, that, and states that they're bullying these smaller vendors into bankruptcy. Yeah, that's where I was, I was going to say I understand that some of them um, have had to file bankruptcy as a, as a result of Avangoa's practices. Exactly. Yeah. We've got about a minute and a half left. One of the things that I found hard to understand in my research and that came up in what I wrote this week as well is how many subsidiaries Avangoa has and why they do this. Can you give us any insight on that? I can't even begin to tell you how many subsidiaries there are. There's no, but the kind of the, the concept. 
from my perspective, um, it's just a shell game. It's a way to move money around, um, award themselves contracts. So, for example, um, a couple that I can speak to is Avangol is the, um, the the main company. Then there's another company that's called Avinsa BD for business development, and then there's Avinsa EPC for engineering, procurement, and construction, and then there's Avancore. And so, and then I read recently Avangoa Greenfield and Avangoa Yield. Mm -hmm. And and so one of the things that they do is Amagoa gets the these contracts and then they award the work to their own subsidiaries. So they don't they don't really put out a quote. Um, they just award the work to their own subsidiaries and then their subsidiaries subcontract it out again. And so it's it makes it very difficult. And one of the officials that is on this task force even mentioned in a meeting that it's impossible to track what's going on because they have so many subsidiaries, and that's one of the things that's really hampering their investigations. Yeah, and, we're, uh, we're about out of time. What's happening with these investigations? I don't know the status. I know that, you know, what I've been told is that the wheels of government um, turn very slowly, but they're, they're still working together. But like I said, it, they've shared with me that Amigo is not cooperating with the investigation and that all of these subsidiaries and this, this complicated corporate structure is making it extremely difficult for them to track and to get the information that they need. Well, I appreciate you being willing to share this with us and take this risk. In our next segment, we're going to talk with another person from inside Avangoa from a different perspective. So, ma'am, I appreciate your willingness to talk with us today. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Voice for Energy. We have a unique feature this week. As I mentioned in my column that I hope that you've had a chance to look at, 
this story this week is not only about Obama's clean power plan, it's not only about the solar industry, but it's really more about a company that's taken advantage of the government funding available to them, and that has recently seen a big plunge in their stock price, and that company name is Abengoa. Abengoa is a company that produces... uh, I guess, utility-scale solar projects, we would say. And in this segment, we're going to be talking with a former employee of Abengoa. And just to give you a clue as to, you know, the power that they have, when I wrote my column, one of my sources said to me, please remove my name. I've received a cease and desist order from this company. Now, that's not the person that we're going to talk to in this segment, but because of those very same concerns, we're just going to call him Sir. And if you're a regular listener to America's Voice for Energy, you might notice that my voice sounds different. That's because I've used some software to change the voice. It's not that any of you need to not know what my voice sounds like, but it's to protect my guests who's willing to be with us tonight. So, sir, welcome to America's Voice for Energy. I'm glad that you're willing to talk to us and that you care enough about uh, this issue to share your story. Thank you for having me, Marita. So, tell us whatever you feel comfortable saying about your position or your background with Abengoa. Uh, I was brought in with Abengoa to oversee... uh, I had broad oversight for the accounting for several of the U.S. subsidiaries. So, you know, in the current uh, stock downturn that Abengoa has faced uh, on August 3rd, there were a lot of reports uh, that I read out there in the news media that cited accounting concerns. And I had heard, and I'd written, you know, you you know, you've talked to me before. I've written on Abengoa, and I've written about how they have all these different subsidiaries and how these different subsidiaries, you know, they kind of hide money here or hide money there. And in Reuters, in their report, they say, the company said that debt raised by another new subsidiary created to finance the early stage of projects Abengoa Greenfield would not be included in the corporate debt figures. So that you know that tells us that there was kind of some shenanigans going on. What did you see? Well, I can't speak specifically to Greenfield. I, I didn't I didn't see it at that level. But at the subsidiaries I was in charge of, there was definitely what you'd call your shenanigans going on. Um, I was aware of certain instances where the accounting rules required one type of accounting treatment in the company knowingly did not follow that guidance. Um, they knowingly inflated their profits in the hopes of obtaining... Wait, wait, wait. They knowingly what did what with their profits? Inflate their profits. Inflated their profits. Okay, I just didn't hear that correctly, so I wanted to make sure I had that right. Yes, that's correct. They, they, they were aware of the issue, and they let it pass thinking that, okay, you know, they were trying to raise some debt. Again, it's not the same debt offering that you're looking at in the news, but they were trying to raise some debt through a U.S. subsidiary privately. 
and they were aware that their, their financial statements would be used by this. They were being audited. They were not being forthcoming with the external auditors, and they were using this information to obtain debt internally with inflated profit numbers. So I'm not a finance person. I do words. But are you uh, saying or implying that they wanted, um, they were needing to get additional loans, and in order to qualify for these loans, they had to show different figures than reality? Uh, in essence, that's correct. It was around the time when um, the Spanish banking crisis was going on. Uh, the credit was tight throughout the company. They were implementing a number of measures to try and extend their credit. Part of that program in, went out to external banks to try and obtain funding to help float cash during this downturn. And yes, they, they were aware that they were inflating their profits and using those numbers to go and obtain or qualify for these loans, which are in the hundreds of millions of dollars. You know, I find that fascinating or interesting. I don't know why, or sad maybe is the better term, because there's a perception that, you know, this is, a, this is an industry in its infancy and it needs help from the U.S. government, but that's not what your experience showed. Yeah, well, uh, you know, uh, subsidies aside and the U.S. government aside, I, I, I believe that they were intentionally um, misstating a lot of things on their accounting. They were very liberal in the way they treated things, and they were uh, frequently trying to hide or falsify the information to make it look as though one thing was happening when something else was happening in reality. So from your perspective in an accounting type of role, and obviously you're no longer with Avangoa, um, were you surprised with the new news uh, about the, the problem with the stock issue and the cash flow and the debt issues? Uh, not entirely surprised. I mean, the particular issue that they brought up in the Reuters article, again, not something I can really comment on because I'm not familiar with those exact details. Right. But it doesn't surprise me at all that, you know, in the end, every, you know, it caught up to them, the, their accounting shenanigans. At, at some point, you know, the, the house of cards has to fall, and it looked like that's what happened in this particular case. Now, some of my research uh, on Avangoa, and, and again, I've covered Avangoa uh, probably more than almost anyone else out there. Um, I found that their probability of bankruptcy, uh, this is the, the recording of the chance of financial distress, and the report shows that Avangoa has more than a 76% chance of experiencing fi financial distress in the next two years. Um, would you think that that's probably accurate? Uh, I'm not familiar enough with their current financial situation. Um, I know that they were distressed at the time I was there. Um, I knew that they were going out, like I mentioned before, looking for credit in all sorts of places. So I, I'm certainly not surprised by that news. Okay, yeah. I mean, I don't want to want to put words in your mouth or put you in any kind of difficult position because I understand your concerns about speaking out, and I appreciate uh, you're being brave enough to 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 address these issues, but what caused you to leave Avangoa? Well, a few months into my starting with the company, I became aware that there were what we'll call some of these issues that I'm talking about right now, and 
And as time went on, I became aware of more and more issues to where it wasn't just, you know, a one-time thing. It, it was certainly a pattern of them going out and, and falsifying and pretty much lying to their external mm -hmm. auditors in regards to what was really happening. They'd have one set of books that they would keep internally, another set of books that they would present to the auditors, and, and I just was not comfortable with that to begin with. And what really broke the camel's back was, in the end, they, they asked me to participate, and then it was, uh, I just wasn't a road I was willing to go down. I needed to distance myself from that situation. So, you know, from your inside position with Avangoa, um, and again, I don't want you to disguise, I don't want you to reveal who you are, but what was your job? What was your role? Uh, again, that would be, it would be difficult to discuss too much in detail without revealing okay. who I am. But I, like I mentioned, I had broad oversight for the financial accounting and reporting for several of the U.S. subsidiaries. So from that position, you know, there are certain things that you probably know because you were really hands-on involved in that, and that's apparently why you left because you are a man of scruples and, and couldn't sign off on some of this stuff. But are there other things that you kind of saw that, that you know, you kind of think happened but you don't have any proof of? Well, sure, absolutely. There's There was... <laughs> always this kind of shady direction coming down from Spain. And it's hard to name names here because I wasn't always sure who I was dealing with. And there are a lot of different players. But what was clear was that the U.S. Um, leadership was being directed to do one thing. And, you know, it, it wasn't the right thing. And it looked to me as though Spain, all the leadership was in Spain, was very aware of these issues. And they were manipulating it as much as possible. My belief is that the top brass in the U.S. was aware, knew that this was a fraud. If not that, they were completely inept to deal with the situation. <laughs> yeah. The situation in the U.S., you know, in a normal position like this, you would see some pushback. People generally, I think, act with integrity, and that certainly was not the case at Abengoa. But that's your experience with other companies, with American employees and people in general. Yeah, in, in general, I've had good experiences at American companies. I've, I felt good about what I do. You know, accounting's a funny thing because there's a lot of gray areas, and, and that's okay for a guy like me to kind of live in gray areas. But with Abengoa, it wasn't just living in a gray area. They clearly crossed the line and moved into an area that was pretty black and white, and they were on the wrong side of that issue. Now, as, Amer as an American, uh, how do you feel about what they're doing today? I'm not comfortable with it. I, I really don't like the idea that they've taken all the money from the U.S. government, from you, from me, the taxpayer, and they've used that to prop up this company. Um, you know, they've used it to pay a lot of expats more than, I wouldn't say their fair share, but more than they would their American counterparts. I know that was something you covered in your earlier articles. Right. I knew that they were taking a lot of that money and funneling it over to Spain. I would lose visibility after it left the U.S. subsidiaries, but again, they were doing everything they could to take as much money from the U.S. government as possible early in these contracts and then send that money elsewhere to fund other projects. It was something I wasn't particularly comfortable with. Yeah, and they seem to be continuing that practice based on the current reporting. Yeah, it, it would appear that way. 
Yeah. Now, you just mentioned, I know this is not your expertise, but you mentioned the expats, and the Avangoa is under investigation from the Immigration and Customs Enforcement Department. And are those claims um, that I've addressed previously in some of my previous reporting and just barely touched on in my current column this week, are those things that you observe to be accurate? Yes, they are. Yes. Yeah, it's scary when you think about um, what's happened under this this single largest recipient of U.S. taxpayer dollars and what we could be heading into. Um, and so, um, you know, I really appreciate your sharing with us. We just have a couple seconds left. Is there anything that we haven't covered that you want to include? No, I, I think we covered all, all the bases, uh, Marita. All right, well... Sir, I appreciate your time with us and sharing your insights and uh, for adding to this the, this story. It's a big story that Americans need to know about. And thanks for being brave enough to share it with us. And for our listeners, I hope that you could understand this slightly distorted version and that you could understand the reason why we went this direction. Thanks for sharing with us in this time tonight, and we'll be back in just a few moments with America's Voice for Energy. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Wow, what an interesting show we've had today on America's Voice for Energy. Never before have I had to learn how to disguise voices. I had to buy special software to do that. But uh, we're back to normal voice here for our closing segment. And I'm pleased to have with us today Kevin Hudak, who's an investment advisor out of Albuquerque, New Mexico, with Q Financial. And when I started writing this column this week, uh, where I was really focused on Abengoa because of their big drop in stock prices. That's what prompted me to, to do this, not to mention, of course, Obama's uh, announcement about the clean power plan. But as I was doing my research, I personally 
felt really overwhelmed with all the material that I was reading about the stock prices from Abengoa. And one headline here says, Abengoa shares nosedive to all-time low on accounting concerns. Another one, Spain's Abengoa launches 650 million euro recapitalization plan shares plunge. And uh, I've got another one from a conference call uh, about Abengoa Yield CEO Javier uh, Garaz, I guess, discusses Q2 2015 results, earnings call transcript. I mean, I went through all this stuff, and I was totally overwhelmed. So I reached out to Kevin and said, Kevin, please help me understand all of this. And so I'm glad that Kevin is willing to join us today on America's Voice for Energy to help us understand all of this. So, Kevin, thanks for joining us. You're very welcome. So, you know, what's going on uh, with, I know you you're, you're not don't want to specifically, like, give stock advice on Abengoa or anything, but, but what do you see happening in the market for, for solar at the moment? Currently, solar is uh, being thrashed with other parts of the energy market. Um, it's been thrashed with oil here for the last uh, year, roughly. And uh, for whatever reason, oil and solar stocks are correlated, and they're, it, it's counterintuitive. You wouldn't think they would be connected at all. And I believe that aspect has to go back years where they were talking about uh, price of kilowatt hours per uh, solar unit and compared to oil. And I think that's where that connection is. But uh, from the outside looking in, there should not be a correlation, but there is. Huh. Yeah, it's interesting. But I see, you know, I've been following solar stuff. I've written for years on what I call Obama's green energy crony corruption scandal. And I've watched this whole green energy trend from about, uh, well, I got into this line of work in 07, which is when a lot of it began. And then 2009 with President Obama's uh, stimulus package of which Solyndra uh, is the most kind of the poster child of the failure of that. And Abengoa is, is way worse than Solyndra ever dreamed of being. But I see that the public's uh, infatuation with green energy is waning. Well, it's, uh, it's basically it hits you in your wallet, and people are looking at their wallet because things are not as they appear. And, uh-huh. Um, Green energy uh, on the outside looks wonderful. It's the classic panacea. The problem is, depending on who you talk to, it's anywhere from 1% to 3% of our total energy um, usage. Um, coal is by far number one. Uh, number two... No, President Obama is working very hard to kill that. Right. And oil is number two, natural gas is in there, and nuclear is about 20% of it. And those numbers have not changed uh, significantly in the last... 15 years, well, essentially what they need is a major breakthrough in uh, solar technology to where they can get the efficiencies up to bring the price down to where solar companies can compete on their own without the tax advantages and the uh, sleight of hand they do in the paperwork. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the sleight of hand because I've, as I've been writing on this, I've been attacked from from the other side. Uh, and. They, they claim that, uh, you know, they have cost parity with, with natural gas or with coal. And, and then in the same 
paragraph, practically, as I pointed out in this week's column, they talk about that, that they're excited about the clean power plan because this will provide additional mechanisms, additional incentives, and all of those mean taxpayer dollars. Well, exactly, and I'm not an accountant, but listening to accountants talk about this, um, if you take them and put them side by sides as apples and apples, solar cannot compete because they're too expensive. That's where we will need a major breakthrough in efficiency, and we still have not seen that yet. No, and I believe there's, there's guys tinkering in their garage, um, you know, today working on these things, and, and there may come. And, you know, I believe oil and gas, uh, and coal are not going to be our major ener energy suppliers into eternity. It may be, but we've got enough for a couple hundred years at least. But I believe that there's going to be, you know, there'll be something new. Uh, but I don't think it's going to be wind and solar personally. Well, no, and I believe it's going to be cold fusion. Uh, if they can ever get that science to where it actually works in working models, that's uh, what they determined to be the cat's meow. That is the ultimate. Uh, basically, we have the uh, energy of the sun without the heat, and um, that is the that is the goal. We're just not there yet. Yeah. So I mean, I, if, speaking of investments, I personally I wouldn't uh, be, in, of course, if I had any money to invest, but I wouldn't be investing uh, in wind and solar. Can you give us? I know you don't want to talk specifically about Abengoa, but can you address kind of the news of what's happened? You helped me in writing my column to kind of look at the charts when Abengoa was when their IPO was and when it was issued and what the price drop was, and you helped me come up with a figure uh, that I used in my column of how much the stock has dropped. Um, what does that indicate to you in a broad sense? Well, if you, if you look at their charts, and you can look at them individually or put them all together in as a whole, um, they ebb and flow like any other stock, except that uh, they... The market is emotional, and I know that's hard to believe for most people. Everyone thinks it's cut and dry. But the market is emotional, and it, go, and it runs on what people are feeling. That's why you have these spikes up and down. And when you have someone announce that this particular program has had a breakthrough or whatever, it's the emotion that drives it up plus the effect of actually, okay, this from a business point of view is actually going to make some sense. And then they call that blue sky and they call it the emotions of the market. And so if you look at a chart and pick one, it doesn't matter because almost all the solar stocks have got the same problem, and that is they've been flowing up and down, and you can almost correlate it to the uh, price of oil, not the oil stocks, but the, the price of crude in the United States. And basically they all look terrible. From a uh, chartist point of view, you wouldn't touch any of them because there's uh, – uh, what they call there's no bottom in it yet. There's no consistency. And what you try to do is try to find a trend, either up or down. And right now, this is looking down. And, you know, you hear people talking about where they think, you know, prices may go on energy. And it just doesn't have to be energy. I mean, oil. Look at uh, coal. Coal's been absolutely disastrous here in the last four Sure. We've had numerous bankruptcies recently. Correct. And you All forced by government policy, I might add. <laughs> not, okay. not by natural market positioning. Correct. Now, the interesting thing to me is we're going to start seeing that now in oil because um, people don't 
understand that a lot of the markets are hedged forward, and since oil's been down for a year, uh, those hedges are uh, winding themselves out, and so they're going to be dealing with the new uh, synergism of uh, we're dealing with oil at $43 today. And yeah. solar has got the same problem in that it is um, – people think of solar as in the kilo, price per kilowatt hour, and they look at it against the other energy sources. And that's where I think the correlation is with solar to the other energies. And uh, solar is going to get hit and hit too. And as uh, other energy prices drop, they're going to get hit also. See, I would think, you know, I'm not an investor, but I would think with the announcement of the clean power plan, which is going to mandate lots more solar. Hillary came out the week before saying she wants half a billion solar panels, enough to power every home in America. That's her plan. I would think this kind of, you know, basically free advertising would would make people think, oh, I better rush out and buy solar stock. You would think so, but this is all counterintuitive, and this is why uh, it's making people pull their hair out. They don't understand why the solar market is not responding to all of this political um, hubbub. And yeah, because it's really propped up. The solar industry is really propped up by politics, although, as I mentioned earlier, uh, it seems to be losing a, a lot of public favor. I, I, I cite um, the case in Louisiana that I was closely involved in, went to Louisiana, met with legislators several times, wrote op-eds that were published in the newspapers in Louisiana. And uh, in Louisiana, they had the most generous solar subsidies in the country. And they have huge budget deficits, like many states do. And so they've had to look at cutting a lot of things, and solar subsidies is one of them. And on, I believe it was June 19th, Governor Jindal signed this new uh, bill that, re- that really gave solar a haircut. And we're seeing similar things, places reversing their uh, renewable portfolio standard or capping it or pausing it. And uh, so the states are really cutting back while the feds are pushing, you know, full throttle. I, I personally believe, and this is an opinion of mine, and that is I think the uh, shine has come off the um, alternative energies because they have not performed. Um, giving mm-hmm. 10 or 15 years, you would think that they would be... Pre- and you're talking from a, st- from a market perspective. Correct, because okay. the, you know, the market, give or take, people don't like it. But the People jumped in, sell. people jumped in and invested. It. They wanted to feel good. They wanted to be a part of it. Yes. That, you know, and, that then, and then you're saying it hasn't performed. It hasn't done what they expected. Well, just it hasn't done what they expected, but you would think over 15 years with this kind of generous tax situations that they'd be producing 15 or 20 percent of our power that we need in this country, and they're just not doing it. And uh, there's no foreseeable future to where they are, even though they bring on these power plants that are 10 megawatt, 15 megawatts. But um, the base loads in energy, which I'm sure you've discussed before, basically in this country still uh, coal and nat- um, oil and natural gas. Yeah. Yeah. Now, oil, you mentioned oil, but oil is for transportation, not electricity. So when you talk about the whole energy mix, you need to include oil. But, but wind and solar produce electricity, and uh, only about 1% of our electricity in this country comes from oil. Right, but you're also looking at natural gas and coal as the big ones. 
sure. and uh, nuclear being 20% of it. Yeah. We're about out of time, Kevin. I appreciate you taking time out of your busy day to help us understand kind of the, the stock perspective on, on these renewable energies. You're very welcome, and um, have a wonderful day. Well, thanks so much. We'll be back next week on America's Voice for Energy, heard here on America's Web Radio. Thanks for listening. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.